Welcome to the Weekend Bite presented by Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Daniel Snyder. 50 basis points. The Fed is not actively considering a 75 point raise and removal of liquidity is beginning June 1st. And not to mention real estate is still on fire. So we're breaking it down in today's episode. But first, I'm excited to introduce Leslie Osman, who will be helping us out on the program going forward. Leslie, welcome to the club. Daniel, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a part of the team. Yeah, we're glad to have you here with us as well. So let's go ahead and get in with our first guest joining us today, David Trainer, CEO of New Constructs. David, I'd love to kick things off with just getting your reaction to the move by the Fed this week. What are your thoughts on how this affects the markets moving forward? I think the markets are very happy to know that Mr. Powell is still very much a stock market guy. He's going to make sure he does whatever he can to keep the markets buoyant uh, and, and not crash them in some of the ways that his predecessors have. And so uh, I think that I think we're seeing that, that relief rally uh, on that front. Uh, but I do think that there was a significant change in language that has sort of been overlooked about how they are expeditiously, expeditiously going to be fighting inflation. And I think that means despite some maybe a few bear market rallies, we're going to see more of the same for the rest of 2022, which is these high growth, no profit and high valuation names are going to continue to get slaughtered as we're seeing with Shopify today. Do you think that investors have a smoother path or will things continue to be volatile with the markets? Yeah, I think it's going to be really volatile. Look, I mean, I, you know, look, we, we've had it so good for so long. I mean, so many people who are in the market today don't know anything but a market just going straight up. Interest rates never go down. Stocks never go down. There's money flowing. Around. We got stimulus checks coming. You know, we can bet on uh, stocks. We can bet on everything. And, and it's fun. And it doesn't matter. We never lose. You know, at some point that has to end because even the Fed, despite, you know, Mr. Powell's sensitivity to the overall market understands that the long-term growth and prosperity of the United States is at risk if we don't help people become more discerning with their money. If too much money chases after bad businesses, that goes to waste because that's capital that could go to good businesses. And the more that goes to bad businesses, the longer or the more we undermine the long-term potential of our economic growth. And you got to stop that because as, as fun as it is for seeing to see everything go up and all these stocks just go up and it's easy, it's really unhealthy for our economy. How do you feel investors should navigate asset allocation given that both bond and equity markets corrected simultaneously for the first time? Yeah, look, I think it's time for us to get over this idea that we can make these broad sweeping uh, investment decisions and, and, and not have to worry. And that includes, you know, how much do I put in bonds? How much do I put in stocks? It also includes, you know, if, if I just diversified across a lot of stocks, I'm okay. What people have forgotten is that smart investing takes real work and diligence. It's not supposed to be easy. You know, you know people on Robinhood, you're competing against folks at, at, at Citadel, at, at Tiger, at Fidelity, professionals who have been doing this kind of work for years and decades who spend millions of dollars on research. It's tough. And there is a room, there's a lot of room for discernment, for rigor, for research to come back. And if you're not doing it, you're getting slaughtered right now. For firms that have been doing it, they're doing great. They're, this is the best year they've had in a long time. And I think we're seeing a long-term shift in the market back to where fundamentals matter, back to where research matters, because there's not as much free money floating around to effect effectively cover up all your mistakes. 
David, that's a great point. I know you guys do a lot of research over at New Constructs, and I, I know you've been following, you know, we had you on here a few weeks ago, right? And we were talking about Tesla, and you were saying the party's over, the party's over, and then you've also been saying that in regards to Shopify, like you mentioned. And Shopify just had a crazy, crazy earnings drop, right? They missed, and the stock's seeing a significant pullback. I'm just kind of curious, in your, in your opinion, is there more room for this one to pull back as well? Yes, uh, you know, look, this stock was incredibly overvalued. It was it was priced as if it's it was going to do sort of more general merchandise value transactions than Amazon, uh, you know, in 2020 or something like that. I mean, the valuations on so many of these stocks is just out of control. And even though they've fallen like 70, 80%, like Robinhood or Carvana, they've got a much, they, they got a long way to fall still. Uh, and they may, they could go to zero. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to say that, that, that a company is not going to come and buy out and, and be a white knight for a lot of these stocks as they, as they fall a lot cheaper. But look, if they're not making any money and it doesn't look like they ever will without the help of an acquisition, then, you know, look, zero is a risk. Um, it's not been a risk in most of the last 15 to 20 years because, again, there's so much money and someone will come along and buy it. Well, they think it's cheap. But again, I think that's changing. I think as people become more discerning, more careful with their money, they're going to be a lot less likely to buy money losing businesses because the bad part about buying a money losing business is that, you know, good news, you own it. Bad news, you got to fund the losses. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, businesses that don't work are not going to get funded anymore. And I don't think that people should you know, assume that some other company is going to continue to fund the company if, if uh, the existing shareholders aren't or private equity investors are not. So should we should we be expecting right now that there there might be an increase in mergers and acquisitions then if these companies are going to considerably pull back i think about robin hood right everybody has a, a big question about why doesn't you know Saks or schwab or whoever go in and buy them and just get their customer base that they have are we going to be seeing that or is that kind of just like no oh, we're good where we're at we have our customers if they want to come join us they'll come our way robin hood can go down to zero you know, I, I think that's a fair question. And, and look, we, we have a, a term at our firm called stupid money risk, which means, you know, never assume that a company won't get bought out. I mean, we saw a mattress firm get bought out several years ago by a South African company, and they immediately took a several hundred million dollar write down because it was a ridiculously bad purchase. And a lot of people were short the name. And anyway, uh, crazy things happen. Um, so I'm not going to say a, a buyout isn't possible, but you know, let's let's give the potential buyers a little bit of credit. They're looking at the same business we are. We're seeing we're seeing uh, Robinhood lose customers, continue to lose money, have effectively no competitive advantage, and the customers they do have on the platform are not profitable. You know, why why was some why does someone need to buy that? Because what Robinhood was selling was just access to markets, easier access to trading. They weren't selling empowerment. They weren't selling advice. They weren't selling good research just easier access to trading. And there's nothing distinguishing about that. There's no competitive advantage. There's no moat. So what's the value in the asset? Yeah, they got a lot of customers on there, but those customers are money losing customers, right? They're not profitable. So why would you want to go out and buy a bunch of pro unprofitable customers uh, for billions of dollars, right? I mean, I, I think, I don't remember what Robin Hood is. It's still around three or $4 billion valuation. Why am I going to pay that? Uh, when a lot of those customers are probably going to eventually come to me anyway, because firms like Schwab uh, have a much stronger value proposition. Firms like TD Ameritrade have a much stronger value proposition. Firms like Fidelity, 
they can do a lot more for those clients besides just offer free trades and easy access to investing. Yeah, David, I'd like to dive into these uh, these picks that we have from you in our notes uh, this week. And, and, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about these companies and how, for the most part, they have a moat. But like I think about Cisco. Why is Cisco a favorite with you right now? Well, we like stocks that are very different from some of the ones we mentioned so far that have cheap valuations. Uh, and a cheap valuation for us is, is one that implies profits will never grow from current levels or will permanently decline. Uh, that's much lower risk, especially when you marry a cheap valuation with profit growth and high returns on invested capital. And when you're talking about a firm like Cisco, return on invested capital is at 15%, a free cash flow yield, 2%. Uh, the company generates a lot of cash. They are the plumbing. They're pr the premier provider of plumbing and networking equipment to the world. Uh, and, you know, some of their competitors uh, are in parts of the world that we may not be able to do business with uh, in the not too distant future, uh, AKA China. And so, you know, we just feel like Cisco, especially in a scary market like this is a really, it's a gem because it's safer because it's already priced for no profit growth. Uh, and, the, and, and we do see, we do think there's a lot of profit growth opportunity. Again, being the premier provider of networking equipment, the growth in their software business, the growth in their security business, right? They're taking share from Palo Alto Networks now. You know, I mean, look, it's it's uh, it's a good business. It's been a great business, but it's boring, uh, and people are overlooking it. And we think these days, boring is good. Scary is bad. Boring is good. And 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 so we like stocks like Cisco. So, are we also talking about companies like Ford and Shell? Are those boring companies right now too? I mean, compared to some of the other you know names that get floated out there, I mean. Look, I mean, this has been a, a, just a crazy market. It's, it's a lot of sort of sophisticated institutional investors that just looked at, at, at investors, you know, some, a lot of the retail newer investors chasing shiny objects um, and, and investing in them because they didn't think there was a lot of risk and because they were popular because things like Momo and YOLO and all these sort of meme ideas were working. And the more they appear to work, the more often individual investors pile into them. And then the more they appear to work and there's this vicious cycle upward. And in the meantime, capital is fleeing your more sort of traditional, boring or reliable names. And yes, uh, Ford is a great example of that. Shell is a great example of that. These are firms that have done nothing but generate tons of cash flow, tens of billions of dollars in cash flow. Um, while uh, seeing their valuations drop. So Ford trades as if its profits will permanently decline by 10%. And, you know, yet this, this Ford Lightning, F-150 Lightning, I mean, it, it, you know, it, anyway, it looks amazing. Uh, I, I think I read recently that Ford is already tracking to, um, in the last quarter, selling as many electric, 50% of as many vehicles, electric vehicles as Tesla. So they're really ramping up into that space. Shell's, prof, Shell's stock price implies that its profits will permanently decline by 40%. And what most people don't know is that even the International Energy Association, the IEA, is predicting that fossil fuel demand will only be 18% lower in 2050 than it is today. Fossil fuels aren't going away, not to mention that Shell has big investments in liquefied natural gas and electricity production that are growth markets for them that aren't related to fossil fuels. They sell fossil fuels to a lot of folks in other parts of the world. Um, you know, so the idea that Shell's profits will permanently decline by 40 percent, 
effectively just represents that the market is so obsessed with other shinier, fancier, non-boring stocks that they're missing a great opportunity. David, I, I got to ask you though, Shell, we got the news a little while back, it's pulling out of Russia. We got the news last week, Berkshire's doubled down into Oxy, uh, Occidental. Um, they're heavy on Chevron. Why Shell over these other gas companies though? I'm not saying the other gas companies are bad. I'm just saying this is one we liked a lot. We like the super majors. Um, but Chevron something that looks good to us too. I haven't looked at Oxy lately, but I'm guessing that's a good opportunity. I mean, we I sort of been telling the team, hey, let's get as many of these uh, energy names on the books because we think the sector in general has suffered from sort of the greenwashing of ESG <laughs> over the last few years, and everything ESG or green is supposed to be good, uh, and we're gonna you know magically switch overnight. Uh, look, the bottom line remains: fossil fuels are by far the cheapest way to bring the non-industrialized portions of the world to industrial prosperity, right? And the faster we do that, the more sophisticated participants in the global economy we have, and the faster we can move to more environmentally friendly energies. But in the meantime, we need to lift these people up. And fossil fuels are the best way to do that. And the sooner we do that, the sooner we can really more effectively shift to alternative energies, because if you're just worried about how you're going to get lunch for your family, you don't have the luxury of thinking about whether or not I want to be in a fossil fuel friendly business or in a, you know, make fossil fuel or ESG friendly decisions. You just want to survive. And we need to help people get out of that mode uh, and, and so that they can be more sophisticated and, and be wealthier before we can really think about switching to ESG. ESG is a first world problem. Uh, and and so we think we want to we, we recommend being in a lot of energy names and and we're we're, we're grateful and flattered to think that uh, Mr. Buffett feels the same. Yeah, let's go ahead and leave it there, David. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. You be well, okay? My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, and we'll be right back after this break. It's sunny, no nuts. Press, creator of Seeking Alpha's stock picking system. Seeking Alpha, all you need to know about investing in top stocks or in anything else. Seeking Alpha, be a better investor. Welcome back to the Weekend Bite. Up next, we have Brad Thomas, founder of iREIT on Alpha, a Seeking Alpha marketplace service discussing the real estate investment trust markets. Brad, it's great to have you join us again. I'd like to go ahead and kick things off by getting your take on this, what does the current market environment mean for the REIT segment of the market? Yeah, well, first off, your previous guest did a great job. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was the fact that there's just a lot of uncertainty out there in the market today uh, with everything, rising rates, inflation, more. I mean, there's, there's just so much uh, noise out there in the market. And the great thing about owning real estate specifically and real estate investment trust or, or REITs is that there is a very high degree of predictability. Now, we're talking about real estate. Real estate, after all, is the glue that holds all of these businesses together uh, in the world. It's You have to have corporate office buildings, manufacturer buildings, uh, uh, housing, uh, shopping centers, groceries, uh, drugstores, so you name it. Real estate is such a massive, broad 
category that you have to, you, you can't ignore it. You, you use it every day. You're sitting in a building, I'm sitting in a building. So real estate is really the key here that we're talking about. And the very predictability uh, and reliability of the rental income is generated, of course, which has is translated into net income, which of course is translated into dividends and dividend growth. So it's that high degree of predictability. Now, the market has sold off. REITs have been, REITs have sold off year to date. Uh, however, when you look at history, and one thing I like to do in the REIT space, we can go back to over 60 years, unlike the MLP sector or the BDC sector, uh, which aren't as, uh, is, isn't as dated as the REIT sector is. You can go back over time to look at the performance of, of the how REITs have, have, have performed. Now, in a rising rate environment, I like to look back at the period between 2004 to 2006. And if you look at that time period, there were 17 Fed hike rates uh, between that period from went from 1% to 5.25% uh, as the economy was improving. And of course, retail performed both stocks and bonds by, by a pretty wide margin, I might add. Uh, so I think when it, it really boils down to the predictability of the income stream and the rental growth. Now, I want to touch on rental growth because rental growth is really the, the primary driver or really the primary catalyst that we look for for total return performance. And in 2020, the year of the pandemic, REITs underperformed by around six and a half percent. I'm talking U.S. REITs only. Global REITs underperformed by they were all negative 18 percent. Last year, we saw we saw a rebound in the REIT sector. The equity REITs in the U.S. were up around 12%. This year, we're forecasting, and analysts are forecasting, and average our consensus data is that REITs will uh, grow by 16% in 2022. That's a significant growth number and a significant catalyst that means that REITs should continue to outperform like they did last year in 2021. We're expecting the same results uh, could occur in 2022. Um, again, measured by the growth of these companies and how they've been able to plow through the pandemic and real estate is, again, real estate is a necessity product. You use it every day in all walks of life. And the great thing about investing in REITs is you have all of this very broad I call a universe of different property sectors and subsectors, and there's some specialty sectors we can touch on if you would like, uh, that, that gives the individual investor many types of opportunities to develop their own portfolio based upon, based upon his or her own risk tolerance level. So uh, again, Brad, you actually, let me jump in real quick. You actually touched exactly on what I wanted to ask. Given some of the changing dynamics from, the mac from a macro and, and monetary policy perspective, uh, we're talking, you know, changing in consumer spending, affordability, rising rates. What sectors of real estate are attractive right now and which sectors do you feel face the most significant headwinds? Sure. And, you know, look, it's interesting today for our members at iRead on Alpha, we, we initiated a couple of trades. We, we bought two stocks that we weren't able to buy for a while. And these were both what I call part of the technology trifecta. So if you think about it, within the real estate spectrum, there's the basic uh, technology sector we refer to as cell towers. And of course, cell towers is what drives a lot of the demand um, for our technology. All of our phones are powered by uh, technology. So cell towers, certainly a great sector. 
then you move over to the next part of that stool. I refer to it as, again, there's three parts to this technology trifecta. You move over to the data centers. And we saw a sell-off and we can continue to see a sell-off in the data center space. Uh, and Equinix is a name that we have recently bought as of today. Uh, shares have gotten cheap enough for us to buy them. Equinix, of course, is one of the largest data center REITs. And we have Digital Realty, which is the second largest position. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, if you're, a, I guess, we're an owner, uh, several of the data centers have been uh, sold to the private market. KKR bought one of those. Uh, Cyrus One was a company that we covered recently, and uh, QTS was sold to Blackstone. Uh, but we have some other names that are coming, so hopefully we'll we'll add some more constituents to the data center sector. Then I want to move over to the third leg to the stool. Uh, part of that technology trifecta is, of course, industrial or specifically, uh, Leslie, logistics. And that is the area, that's the final piece of that, the last mile that you uh, place an order on your iPhone. It goes to the data center, the order's filled, goes to the logistics center, and then it's shipped to your house. Logistics have sold off. Now, we had some news recently with Amazon cutting back um, and the Amazon's results that sparked a sell-off in the industrial sector. So today we took a very entry uh, small position, um, I should say modest position in Prologis, which is one of the leading industrial REITs, the largest industrial REIT in the world with a fortress balance sheet, of course, A-rated company. So we were able to take advantage of that uh, sell-off, these price declines to really own more of this technology. Now, when we look at the earnings growth or the FFO growth for these REITs, you can see that all of those sectors that I mentioned, cell towers, data centers, and, and logistics, they all have above average gro growth profiles because of the technology that, that drives those businesses. So we like those names a lot. Uh, we've, we've been watching those and finally we're getting a pullback and opportunity to put capital into those companies. Hey, Brad. So I love that you're breaking down this stool. I like to call it a tripod when it's three. That's just me being a, a, a film and TV guy. Um, I'm curious, though, that's you, you got cell towers, data centers and the industrial logistics, which I've also heard from other uh, REIT like Center Square Capital Management or uh, Capital uh, Investment Management. Sorry. Um, when they came on. But I know you also recently spoke to Omega Healthcare CEO on your podcast. Is healthcare are healthcare REITs still in favor with you right now? Yeah, we've stayed with this. And this is a prime example of why we're not following the herd. Uh, there's a lot of investors are really scared of skilled nursing. And frankly, they should be. Skilled nursing is one of the most challenged uh, property sectors and specifically within the healthcare uh, spectrum. Uh, skilled nursing is certainly the most the riskiest of all. Now, one of the things that we don't we, we see a lot of uh, a lot of thing, good things happening within the skilled nursing sector. Occupancies have started to nudge up. Obviously, the pandemic is in the rearview mirror right now, but we still have issues in the job market. Skilled nursing jobs are still, still really um, uh, an overhang for investors. But Omega specifically, one reason we're bullish with this company, we have been, is because the company does have a very disciplined management team. They've always maintained a very disciplined balance sheet. Uh, up until the pandemic, they were able to grow the dividend every, every single year. And, um, and, and maintain their investment grade rating. Now, of course, the pandemic put pressure on the company. Their dividend payout ratio got uh, uh, narrower and narrower. And so now we're at the point where what happened lately, and again, earnings came out this week, shares shot up 15% that day, validating the fact that we, we uh, believe the company does have a long-term um, success profile. 
Um, and so I think that's, that particular sector is one that if you're going to own skilled nursing, you've got to own the dominant player in that sector. There are other names and we cover some of those other names, but Omega certainly has the scale advantage, which uh, as well as the um, cost of capital advantage, although their equity multiple is certainly uh, um, higher today than it's been in a while, the company can still execute and generate accretive growth through acquisitions and recycling. What we've seen with Omega is their five top operators uh, or five of their operators got into some trouble. And we, we're now seeing that Omega was able to successfully navigate through those five operators. There are no operators on the watch list. We just spoke with the CEO, as you mentioned, uh, just a few days ago. And so right now the coast is clear, but I would not say we're out of the woods with skilled nursing. There are still some, some risks, primarily the labor issues is what we're watching very closely. Brad, you just talked about the, the cost of capital. Um, given the current cap rates and relative cost of financing, a lot of operators are facing opportunities consisting of negative leverage. Um, how is this impacting the decision-making process and assumptions when modeling opportunities? Yeah, so one thing we do is look at the private sector as well. And we looked at some transactions specifically within skilled nursing. Cap rates have actually come down, which is beneficial uh, to to this sector. Uh, so there is liquidity in that market. Uh, Omega has been able to sell and recycle some of their assets uh, to generate more cash. And right now what we're seeing in the in the first quarter, the company announced the payout ratio, which is the FAD funds available for distribution was just above 100%, maybe 102%. But that that did not reflect the amount of cash that they have on their balance sheet that they're going to recycle, which of course is going to generate uh, more earnings for them. So we think that Omega pot very possibly is, is, you know, almost out of the woods. I can't say they're out of the woods yet. I think that's what I titled the, the article on, on Seeking Alpha just several weeks ago. But in terms of their cost of capital, again, they got the they got the triple B uh, minus uh, credit rating. They've been able to hang on to that. Uh, their, their payout ratio should should improve going forward. Their occupancy has improved. And again, they've got such a diversified business model. This is a prime example of how diversification is critical uh, in the real estate business, because when you do have operators that have troubles and don't pay rent, um, you have uh, you have enough capital that you can still continue to dis distribute that dividend. So they're they're they're. Uh, but again, in terms of their um, their uh, cost of capital today, it is it is higher than they've had in the past. But they've managed through this before. One thing that I've really uh, you know we spend a lot of time at Iron and Alpha meeting with these management teams and interviewing them, just like we are here on this call. And this particular CEO, Taylor Pickett, has been with the company really since they since he, they went through some very difficult times around 15 years ago. We were very impressed how he was able to manage through that uh, that those events back in uh, 15, 16, 17 years ago and really build a more defensive business model, a dominant business model. And they are, again, the largest skilled nursing REIT in the country. They've also gone into Europe and we're, we're again, at, adding to that diversification. So again, I, we're, we're very bullish with this company. We think they're almost out of the woods. And again, the market was reflective of that with their earnings call this week, uh, which shares up 15%. And then just kind of touching on, on rents, um, with rent growth starting to normalize and inflation expected to moderate on the heels of the Fed tightening, do you anticipate a more difficult real estate environment? Well, again, this goes back to the, the great thing about the diversity within uh, the REIT sector and real estate sector. There's, there, you know, sector by sector overall, uh, I think we're going to still see continued growth. Now, certain sectors are still challenged. 
we can go, for example, over to the retail sector. And more specifically, let's talk about the malls. Uh, the mall sector has certainly was certainly hit extremely hard uh, during the pandemic. Uh, we've, main, we've maintained a very uh, bullish sentiment with regard to Simon Properties. Again, just like Omega, Simon is the dominant player in that sector. They do have the scale advantage. They do have that cost of capital advantage. Uh, just like Prologis, Simon is A-rated. And so they've been able to plow through this pandemic, be able to get their earnings back up, some of their, most all of their rents. Uh, and by the way, Simon was able to buy a, another mall re during the pandemic and shave a billion dollars off the share price. That's Taubman Centers, which they now have successfully closed and integrated within their portfolio. So, but to answer your question, every sector is going to be the difference. Obviously, the property sectors that have the best pricing power are going to be the apartment REITs and the self-storage REITs, uh, certainly hotel REITs. Those priced by the day, apartment priced by the month, self-storage priced by the month. So it, we really look at pricing power. One of the things we're one of the things we're doing at iRead on Alpha is putting together our, our own risk rating model now, specifically as it relates to rising rates. And so we can provide a a uh, uh, a, a scorecard for our members showing them which companies they should buy in this rising rate environment, which companies have the best pricing power so they can continue to grow through this rising rate environment. And of course, we always look at valuation. That's the final filter after we analyze the quality, the growth of the company and management teams. The last thing we do, of course, is to look at valuation and make sure we have that margin of safety. As I mentioned earlier, we bought two stocks today, Equinix and Prologis, uh, simply because we saw that margin of safety and I'm happy to be able to buy those shares today because we've been looking at those companies for quite a while. Brad, I'd like to jump in here because you've been you've been talking about the various aspects of the REIT sectors that you're really in favor with right now. And I know back in November we talked about uh, Vichy Properties. So just to make sure we, we keep you accountable, you told me last time that you thought the company deserved a higher multiple. Is that still the case in this uh, environment that we've seen the first five months of this year? Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned Vichy. So actually last week I was speaking out on, on the West Coast. So uh, I, I think on my during my plane flight, one of the days uh, Vichy did announce, I think it was Friday actually, uh, that they have closed on the, um, on the merger of MGM Growth Properties, MGP. So now there are only two uh, uh, large, uh, uh, gaming REITs, uh, Vichy as well as Gaming and Leisure GLPI. So, uh, so you can check all the boxes for Vichy. Look, they, 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 uh, they raised the money to close the deal. They raised the debt to close the deal um, very successfully. And we think that integration is going to really prove out solid for them. Again, going back to Simon, going back to Omega, Vichy is the dominant player in the gaming sector. And so they're going to continue to grow and grow. We do expect the company to look for deals in Europe. They haven't announced anything yet, but we do look for them to expand their footprint uh, geographically um, to other countries. Um, and, you know, Vici again, has a very disciplined uh, balance sheet. They do have the investment grade ratings now from two, two rating agencies. One other one will come next very shortly. Um, so they have been able to improve their cost of capital, uh, their diversification. And, you know, what's interesting about the gaming sector, because I call, we call these gaming REITs, but Vici has actually moved beyond gaming into really more of an experiential concept. They do have amusement parks. They have golf centers similar to Top Golf. Uh, so they have other other properties. I would not be surprised to see Vici 
moving into perhaps maybe some sports venues, maybe NBA, NFL, who knows, uh, just about anything can be, uh, you know, read, readable uh, if, uh, if it's defined as real estate. So I think Vici has done a terrific job uh, with that. Now, uh, in terms of the pricing, we think the whole gaming sector has been a little mispriced. Finally, the institution invest and institutional investors are starting to consider the gaming sector as a real uh, solid asset class. Going back to what I said earlier, it's just very high predictability of this in rental income. Vici was one of the only companies that had 100% rent collection during the pandemic. That means a lot. And that's one of the things we really like about the company because they've got a very solid portfolio. And one of the biggest risks, of course, is recession, potential of a recession in 2023. Um, and although uh, there is some re recession risk with gaming, obviously, in Las Vegas, uh, we believe that the company will be able to navigate through a recession just as, as they did in 2008 and 2009. Brad, your insights are always so valuable for our audience. We really appreciate you taking the time with us today. You have a great weekend, okay? You bet. Thanks so much. Now over to Seeking Alpha's Kim Khan for this week's Catalyst Watch. Thanks, Daniel. Um, next week, um, we've got um, a B of A healthcare conference with more than 50 companies uh, reporting. It's not a sector we mentioned a lot in Catalyst Watch, so definitely something to watch to look out for there. Um, um, you've also, as we've mentioned, the um, big Fed decision. There's going to be a slew of Fed speakers next week, all giving their own takes on kind of what happens next after uh, Jay Powell effectively took a 75 basis point hike off the table. And um, then on the earnings front on Wednesday, I'm going I'm to be looking definitely at Disney, um, not just the, their numbers and their number of streaming subscribers and how the parks are doing um, post-COVID, but really looking at the conference call, which could just take an entirely political tone. You've got um, you know Disney versus Florida literally right now going on um, based on um, you know what Bob Chapek decided to say about Florida le legislation and how his employees have reacted to that. You know, there's just going to be a, a ton of questions I can imagine from analysts on the fallout from that. Added to that, the fact that their communications director uh, quit recently after only four months on the job. So they've got a new communications director who's going to be handling that call. All could be very interesting. Yeah, but let's not forget the most important news, and that's the new Doctor Strange movie comes out this weekend. <laughs> right, guys? That, that is important. I'm still saving it. I have not gone to see it yet. Not to mention Benedict will be on, I think he's hosting SNL this week too. They're, they're really doubling down over there. They, they know how to do some things right, right? We got to give them credit. They may not get it right on the political front. We'll see how that goes. But I don't know. Leslie, what do you think? <laughs> I'm excited. I'm definitely going to watch. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's go ahead and leave it there. You guys have a great weekend, okay? Thanks, you too. Thanks. All right, everyone. That wraps it up for this week's episode. I hope you learned as much as I did from Brad. That's uh, Brad Thomas from iReet on Alpha, and not to mention David Trainer, who you can also find on Seeking Alpha if you go and search for Value Investing 2.0. That's his service that leaks to his new construct data as well. So go out, have a great weekend, and stay safe out there.